Um, how many of you guys like uh, Unsolved Mysteries? You guys like a fan of those? I don't know. Every once in a while, like, you know, I find myself, uh, you know, flipping through the channels, and you know, there's there used to, there was a um, a Netflix series that was recent, like Making of a Murderer, and so I don't know if anybody got caught up with that. Um, but there's always something about like trying to figure out like who did it. Um, some of those like hour-long shows, I find myself, you know, they, they always do a commercial break, and like they'll say, and you never know what the police found next at the home, you know, and then they go to commercial and. And they say the same thing for the next commercial break. So I usually find myself turning it off, looking it up online, and being like, "Oh, that person was guilty." Or you know, anyone else do that? So, um, so, so sometimes, sometimes I do that. And I, there, there are um, some mysteries that have been, you know, unsolved. Um, you know, there are major cases uh, in the history of the U.S. that um, you know, just we don't we don't know, or authorities don't know for sure. There's there's like Jimmy Hoffa. There's uh, one famous case about a guy who uh, took a plane hostage. His name was D.B. Cooper and uh, got some ransom money, then parachuted out of the plane while it was still up, but they never found him. Um, and they found some money, but, you know, it just kind of disappeared. And so they're like, did he die? Did he, you know. And so there's just some things like people will never know. And so that kind of gnaws at you sometimes. Like you just never know what happened. I lost my license once. Uh, I flew to, we were living in California, flew to South Carolina and, uh, I didn't realize until we were getting on the plane to come back that I didn't have my license. And I was trying to think of like where, you know, I only pulled my license out once to get on the plane. Uh, and it, somehow in that time in between, um, you know, I, I lost that. That was uh, about 12 years ago. And my father-in-law uh, recently was uh, renovating. Uh, we went and go visited my wife's grandmother. And uh, he went to go um, do the flooring. And for some reason that came up. I was thinking like, if you find my license, just let me know. Like, <laughs> I just want to know what happened to it. I scoured like my bags, my you know the truck that we were in, all those things. It was like, where did my license go? It just never, never appeared. And so some things like happen all the time where you just never know what happened. That's just that's just kind of life. But they kind of kind of gnaw gnaw at you, but you you kind of pass over. Um, the kind of the issue though we're going to look at today is uh, is issues that um, that you know when there is wrongdoing. Um, but justice isn't served. And there's, there's some cases where uh, people, you know, in essence, got away with something. Um, you know, uh, you could probably fill, fill in the blanks with things that, that you know. There's people who are pretty sure that O.J. Simpson was a little bit more involved than, than uh, led on to believe, but he was, he was found not guilty of that. And there's things that we see all the time through the news that, you know, there just wasn't enough evidence, there wasn't enough this or that, but... But the people um, kind of feel a certain way about a particular person. And so that, that kind of is an issue that's in the backdrop um, of what we're going to read next in Malachi. And so as we've been going through Malachi, you know, again, uh, the author of Malachi, so we're going to be in the end of chapter 3. Uh, Malachi is writing on behalf of the Lord and rebuking uh, different, for di- different, the people, the priests, for different aspects. And last time we... we uh, we, we looked through this a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, he was rebuking them for not um, making their offerings into the, the temple. And uh, God even said something where he said, you know, you're shortchanging me. This is something that is required of you as an Israelite, and you're not doing it. And uh, he rebuked him and said, you need to start, you know, start putting in your offerings. And guess what? If you do that, he said, test me. Test me and I will bless you in that. Because one, it's not just, you know, God doesn't need the money. 
right? It's, it's his money. So, but that money is used for taking care of the Levites, the priests, which interestingly he rebuked, you know, a couple chapters beforehand. But even though he rebukes you, doesn't mean he still doesn't, you know, want you to be blessed and to be taken care of, um, hoping that you correct your, you know, your behavior. And so not only that, but, you know, we looked at some verses that that money is also used for the poor and those who are, um, you know, uh, you know, orphans, widows, things like that. And so he's, t- he's really taking care, taking care of his people. And so we get to um, the end of chapter 3, so verses 13, and we're going to see if we can make it to the end today. Um, and really the title that I have kind of for this, this message is The Faithful Shall Be Exalted. Um, but we're going to see like the, the very last rebuke that God gives to his people. And you know, kind of the message that he wants them, uh, wants them to take, you know, take home with them. Um, and so verse 13 says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, well, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit, uh, profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. So, so in this passage, you know, uh, the Lord exposes our grumbling hearts. And, uh, and, and specifically for here, the, the Israelites, and it's something that was kind of like gnawing at them. Like that, either that unsolved mystery that kind of gnaws at you, you know, but you're like, well, it's really not that big a deal. Unless it's something, again, like you can't find your keys or you can't find whatever. And you're like, where did they go? Um, you start accusing sometimes, right? You know, your kids, like, did they throw them away? Did they? Um, you guys ever had where you had people over and then you can't find some, something was missing, you know, or misplaced. And you're like, do you think they took it, you know? Um, <laughs> no, no, they couldn't have. They couldn't have. And then you find it later and you're like, why did I think like that, you know? Um, so... Not that any, any of us would do that, but we jump to those conclusions. And so after a pattern of doing, doing that behavior, we kind of see something that, that happens in uh, the Israelites' lives. And so he says, first, your words have been uh, hard against me. So God has, has said these things, and he's like, I'm kind of taking this, you know, uh, the things that you're vocalizing, like it's, it's to the point where they're actually like verbalizing some of these statements. It's not just like you think in your heart, but... You have said is what God 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 says because sometimes we think in our heart and you know we're like ah, you know that's not right and then you know but we never say it when you get to the point of saying it it's part of like what you're thinking and what you believe and so he says like your hearts your words have been hard against me and again the rhetorical way that that um, Malachi uses is that he says well then how have we been hard against you you know asks the question well in what way and then he he says that and he says you have said it is vain to serve God. And that word vain uh, means empty or desolate. If you've, uh, you know, if you've, if you've studied scripture, there's a word um, vanity that's often used in Ecclesiastes, but it's a different word. That word in Ecclesiastes is uh, actually a vapor 
or a breath. It's like short-lived. But in this way, vain actually means like uh, it's also it's it's you know there's a root word that's associated with with that of a desolation, of an emptiness, of something that is void. And so it's not just like short-lived, like serving God, but it's like to no end, to no fruitfulness. It would be you know if uh, you see a board and you push your finger on it and your finger goes right through because it's been eaten away at termites, like the structure has been decayed and is no more in internally. And he says, it is vain to serve God. So those are like hard words, right? It's empty. Like this, there's no fruit in doing this. And so that is what they've been saying. And he says, what is the profit of our keeping his charge? Meaning like the things that God wants us to do or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. Meaning like, what's the point of like us feeling sad about the things that we have done? Um, and so these are like harsh words, right? It's almost the question like, what good is it to follow God? Which really, if we step back and think about it, like that ends up being like the million dollar question. Like for all of us, you know, especially, you know, those who are without Christ, like what good is it? Like what do I gain from following God? Right? And sometimes in our evangelistic messages, we, we talk about the blessings and the benefits of following God. Um, or we may talk about the consequences of not following God and, and judgment in mind. And, and really, uh, Malachi, uh, God is you know, going to speak through Malachi and say several of these things. But they're just kind of like, well, what's, what's the point? And even us as believers, like sometimes like maybe we feel like that, right? We feel like, you know, we've been sacrificing, we've been doing, we, you know, we've been, we've been uh, making, um, you know, we, we've been uh, doing certain things because we feel like this is what the Lord wants, but it's been hard, it's been tough, right? We haven't seen quite the fruit of it yet, and sometimes in our hearts or sometimes in our minds, we might start feeling those things. We might not say like, well, you know, I don't believe in God, but we start feeling like, well, you know, am I, am I gaining anything about making some of these sacrifices? Is this really like what God wants me to do? And one way that we see that is sometimes it's not necessarily just because like the sacrifice is hard. Is when we look out at the world around us, really like what influences that is sometimes when we see people who have no knowledge of God or even a complete rejection of God, they seem to be doing so well. Right? They seem like to have a life that's, that's easy, like they're not worrying about making their payments, they're not working, you know, worrying about you know, whatever it is. You know, some of it could be, you know, if you tie it back to what Malachi just said, you know, he's, he's saying they haven't been paying the things that they need to do, they haven't been sacrificing their, from uh, their, um, you know, the things that they've grown and given their first fruits, their tithes to the Lord, and he says, well, test me in that. You know, some of it could be that, like, you know, I give to the church and I do all that, and sometimes it's hard to make ends meet, you know, even with those things. Um, but those who just, who don't do it all, who just spend on themselves, just seem to, like, be having a, you know, a more blessed or fruitful life, right? That's the trap that we get into when we look at the other people and start comparing ourselves to what's going on in other people's lives. So I want us to, like, stop and turn to a psalm that really like captures this idea. It's Psalm 73. Um, so we're going to read first kind of two-thirds, and we'll stop and just talk just slightly. So turn to Psalm 73. And this is like, I don't know, this should be those, like, one of those go-to verses when you, you know, when you start having those thoughts, those, those psalms where it's like, you know, 
start you start thinking like a kid where you're like, well, everyone else seems to be having more fun than me, or you know, everyone <laughs> everyone else is because we 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 get like that sometimes. Um, and so let's just read through and hear what Asaph had penned um, to God, and he says, "Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled." And my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, well, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would betray the generation of your children. So let's just pause there, because he'll get, he'll get to the, uh, the, the turning that, that mindset around. So what are some of the things that either you know, we see here specifically, or things in culture that you know, cause us to uh, get our mind off of God and start putting it on ourselves? What are the things that... You know, he says, my feet almost slipped. What are the things that we need to be very aware of so we don't slip as well? What are the things either he, he identified here um, or the things that you could say that, you know, or maybe if they're unique to our culture, but what are some things that, that, we, that are being described? Um, when he says that I, uh, you know, I envied the arrogant, what were the things that they had that he was feeling he was lacking? Position in society. Okay. Uh, along with their money. Okay. Kind of hand hand. Okay, so position. And what, what comes with position? Power. Okay, power. Mm-hmm. And what else comes with that? Arrogance can come with that. Okay. We're bonded to the fact that it's That was a, you know, that was a, uh, a term of. Of, of prosperity. Um, it's opposite, right? You know, I mean, in, in, in these cultures, you know, the majority of the, the countries are, are poor, right? You know, they, they live day to day. Um, and so uh, having a fat body was not the norm. Whereas here, like, what, how would we apply it here? Healthy and strong. Okay. So, yeah, and that would probably, like... Um, yeah, like uh, appeal more to like where we would see in our society today. So what was uh, what what um so I yeah so what what would we what would you know so back then it was like you are you are fat fat and sleek or you are healthy and strong. Well fed. Well fed. Okay. <laughs> you had plenty. Okay. Um, what would be envious? You know. So so we said we said position or status. Um, and why is that? I guess before we move on, we'll get to healthy and strong. Why? Like, let's just kind of like go a little bit deeper. Why? Why do people want status or 
position. And you said some is power, okay? Some, uh, what else it goes along with that? Praise of man. Praise of man, okay? Okay, yeah, so, so back to that feeling of power, maybe just a recognition, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like a bunch of accolades or just the fact that, like, I even exist, um, especially for many who, you know, who have jobs where, like, it's very little praise, it's like you work, you know, kind of behind the scenes and, you know, most people don't see which, what's, what's going on. Sometimes, like, if I moved up a little bit more, then, you know, maybe people would recognize that. Um, which are all pride. Uh, what would be the, um, uh, so what would, what would people envious? So he was kind of envious about their being well fed. What would we envy in our society today that kind of goes along with that? Maybe some of those other translations like kind of hit, hit that idea. Looks like they don't have the daily struggles that the common person would have. And that's what he's alluding to here. They're good till death. Mm-hmm. But then the judgment. Okay. They're just focused on, like we are, we get off, you know, we're just myopic in our focus, and we're just focused on the here and now. And they seem to have it great because they're wealthy and they have power, and everything seems to be going right. Mm-hmm. It's just they're so worldly and so on top that as you see them on the outward, you say, wow, you know, there must be something. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, Donald Trump and his billions. Enough said. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who are you talking about? I, I, I don't. <laughs> I know that'll that'll be a case study probably for four years that you know um, we'll we'll uncover. So some some being well fed is the the uh, lack of you know um, like do some people never have to worry about you know. Like making a decision, should I buy this or not? Should I not buy this? Uh, or like the fact that like, oh, uh, you know, the rent is due and I don't have enough money to pay for that, right? And so what comes with that is a sense of, um, what does that really feed into? A sense of, like not worrying, it's a sense of... Well, it feels like your failure if you are in that position of, I don't have enough. Okay. Okay, certainly true, certainly true, and I think that's a huge one um, that, you know, you're like, where, where have I gone wrong? Um, also feeds into our sense of security, right, the fact that, like, you know, you feel more secure if you don't have to worry about some of these things, you know, because you're, you're blanketed, you know, uh, by your money. Um, the, the fall of the Roman Empire is kind of a great case study to that, you know, because everybody lost everything except those who were extremely wealthy and then was able to set up those, like, power structures of, you know, uh, lords and, you know, knights and, and all of that. It's kind of an interesting case study to those things. Um, so we see, uh, you know, also the envy that comes with, like, you know, being, being you know, well-fed or, or strengthened. In our society, right, you know, we're back then, they talk about eating, like, fatness, you know, and, and, and kind of being a little bit, you know, Having, not having your bones seen, right? That's kind of like the opposite, right? Our, our, we're so well fed in some sense, like we don't worry about the food, feeding ourselves. It's kind of sometimes the opposite is uh, we look at others and the way they look and, and envy some of, some of those things. You didn't quite see that vanity in that way, but it, it manifests itself in other ways.
Um, Seriously. It's the first world problems, isn't it? Just, um, but, it, I mean, that's, that really is like, that's, it's, that's our culture. We're never content. Yeah. I mean, even Ruth's Chris will be like, you know. Well, yeah, then you got the guy that can go to Marcel's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, what? Steak. I've never been, but I've heard. I've heard you can go on Friday night after 11 and they grind up all that fancy steak meat into hamburgers and you can get a $10 hamburger. Is that right? you got to go after 11. When you're my age, you're not up how are, how are they the next day? Are they, they, they keep? Yeah. Now I'm saying, if you, anyway, whatever. So. You're So the psalmist, you know, again, it feeds on some of these things that we all at some point, you know, hits on, whether, again, it's our, our, our sense of, of esteem, our sense of, you know, maybe it's desire for control, maybe it's a desire for security, maybe it's a desire um, to, uh, yeah, just, just, you know, a sense of accomplishment or, you know, the opposite is a sense of failure. Because, um, you know, how did the, how did the psalmist uh, reply? He says, uh, all in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, you know. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning, right, from those who don't, you know, like, why are you doing that? Um, and if I said, I will speak thus, I would betray the generation of your children, right? If he, if he kind of like said, yeah, I know you're right. He's like, I know I would have, you know, gone against what you desired. But, you know, verse 16 says, but when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Right, because like you know, I can always think like this. This is something like it's never going to go anywhere. Um, because really, what's what's the end result? Like, if you say, "What's the point of following God?" If you act on that, then what does that mean? You and rejecting God, right? If you say, "What's the point?" and you're like, "There is no point," because he's like, "I'm not there," and that's a good thing, right? If we if we've got the Holy Spirit within us, no matter how far we kind of go in our thinking, like maybe we push that all the way to the end and say, well, the only conclusion is you reject God. And if you're like, that's not an option, then go back <laughs> to what God desires and let's start thinking through this again and getting out of, out of this, this bad comparison model. And he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their, their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Um, you know, those who, who feel like they have it all, you know, don't have ultimate peace, right? They may have security in their money, but that's where it ends, right? It, like, what happens after you die, right? That, that ends ultimately, like, well, you either die and nothing happens, or you hope, maybe, I've done enough good, you know? Right, but but if you are if you are following the Lord, if you are His chosen, He's promised so many other things. We'll touch on that in a second. 
He says, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So he's like, you know, recognizing his thinking. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom I have in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he continues on. So, you know, kind of recognizes, you know, where his true thinking is. And so, going back to Malachi, you know, we see that, um, that he is, you know, the people are probably speaking along the same issues. Now, they're in a different place. Um, they have, again, remember, been, been exiled and have returned. So they're back in the land. They've rebuilt the wall and they've rebuilt the ten- temple and they're kind of making their, their own way. But they're not to themselves. They're still kind of a mixed area. Um, they're still kind of Gentile populations because the Assyrians and Babylonians would have imp- you know, taken people from outside and put them in when the exiles were taken away. And so it's going to be kind of a mixed groups. We saw that, you know, you, see, you can read about that when they came back and rebuilt the wall, that there were kind of oppressive groups around. So they're, they're not, you know, at least racially, there's mixed groups around. So people are worshiping other things even though they have their temple. And, uh, but those other groups are right on their, their back door. Secondly, who's in, who's in power or who's in charge? You guys remember culturally at this time? So after the Babylonians. So he's, he is Babylonian. You guys remember who the, the group? Starts with a P. Persians, yeah. So the Persians would be you know, the next major empire that would be in control until, until the, the Greeks and Alexander the Great takes over. So during this time, the Persians are still in control. So they're not, they're not their own people, right? And so who are these arrogant? Who are these people that they are talking about? Is it these people groups that are around them? Is it the fact that, you know, Lord, we're, you know, we're still oppressed by the Persians? Like, we're not our own nation anymore? You know, is it those arrogant who seem to be blessed, who seem to be blessed with the power, who seem to be blessed with, you know, the riches they would be paying um, taxes to them, although it wouldn't have been as oppressive, but they still would have had to, ta- you know, been taxed by these other groups? And so, we don't necessarily know who the arrogant are, but it really doesn't matter, right? You know, I mean, it could be anybody because you, know, you can be envious, you know, sometimes I'm envious of my children, right? If only I didn't have the worries that you had, right? Um, so we can, be, we can envy, you know, who, whoever, for whatever reason, when our thinking isn't, isn't right. And so, um, so why do people think like this? Ultimately, why do people think like this? They make that, why do people make that comparison? Why do people like, think others have it better? Why do we get like that? Unsatisfied. What's that? We're just not satisfied. Okay? We don't believe that God has, has our best interest at heart. Discontent. Okay? Discontentment? Okay? Our minds are skewed. We think we're thinking earthly things. Okay? What's going to please us down here instead of focusing on down here, not what really matters. Right. Right. Yeah, all you know, all of those things kind of kind of feed into that, um, and ultimately, 
And you either have like a, a shallow view of God, um, you know, meaning I'm making these sacrifices, are they going to pay off? You know, or again, you know, like a lot of you said, kind of maybe a myopic view of things. And so that's why, again, we need to read his word and remind ourselves of what truths there are that, that he's, he's promised us. And so we'll get, get to that in just a second. And so again, he, the Lord in, in these verses exposes our grumbling hearts. And so the next we're going to see that the Lord explains to his people of a coming judgment. Right, because it ends up being the problem is, you know, you start when you start kind of thinking in this cloudy, you know, this cloudy thinking of like, oh, that person, you know, seems to be better off or whatever. Like, you're not thinking in start in distinct categories that God does. Right, when God looks at people, He only sees two types of people. What what are the what would those be? Right. So those that are His or those that are rebellious, and some of those rebellious people might later be his, but we don't think like that. We sometimes just think in like, you know, blurred lines and categories and things like that. And so we need to, you know, he, he kind of makes it sharp and crystal clear with these next verses. He says, Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. All right? Um, and so, so we not only serve a God um, who not only hears our complaints, right? Because these people are just grumbling and he's like pointing out the fact that like, you know, you know, I can hear you, right? <laughs> and the things that I hear you that here you say is it's vain to follow you, God, right? I mean, imagine if your kids are like, what's the point of following all the things I said? Kids sometimes are a little bit more honest about that. You know, imagine if you told your boss that, right? You know, like, why are you making me do this? You know? And so, so sometimes it's like, well, let me make it clear. If you don't, you don't have a job. <laughs> and if you do, you continue to get employed. And you're like, oh, then I will do, right? And so sometimes, like, you know, getting down to the, the, the facts you know, help us out. And so God not only hears our complaints, but, you know, and he doesn't fire us, right? You could, that could be the, the other way that boss could have said is like, well, you know, hit the, hit the road. So he stops and he says, like, listen, you know, I want you to prove, uh, I'll prove myself to you. You know, you guys aren't, aren't being, you know, uh, um, faithful in, in giving to me. So I'll prove myself to you. And he makes that, that clear. And then he says, listen, not only that is, is I've written your names in, the, in a book of remembrance, right? Those who will be remembered in the day of judgment. And there's several places in Scripture that you can find that. Um, Exodus uh, 32, 32 describes a book of remembrance. And Daniel 12, 1, those who are, um, those are the Lord's will be written in a book for the time of judgment. We see in, the, in Revelation at the end of the day of judgment that there, is, uh, there is, are these books whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so this idea that people who are, are His are written in a book, right? And the idea is just like, like, not that God wouldn't forget, but the fact that like he's saying, like, you're here, right? You're in the ledger, you're in my book, you know. It's not like, oh yeah, do I remember you? You know, he's just saying, you know, as a, as a tangible way that you, you won't be forgotten, you know. You won't be swept under the rug. And so even maybe if you're one of those who desire to have power or status or whatever, like, look, it, you're in the book, right? And so you're sealed, 
And so there's a place in, uh, there's several places in, in the New Testament where, you know, this language is, is spoken of. First Peter, um, you know, uh, talks about a couple different things. You know, one, he starts off in his, in, in the letter when he talks about salvation. He says, your salvation is imperishable, it's eternal, and it's kept in heaven. It's like basically secure. You know, I always tell my kids, it's like it's kept in a vault, right? Your salvation will not be lost. And then he starts talking about, you know, why we should be holy. Like your salvation is secure, but I'm more concerned about how you live your life. And the whole context of First Peter is them, you know, encountering struggles, them encountering people who are oppressing them. And he talks about those in authority. Even those who are unjust, like still obey them. And he talks about masters and slaves, and he talks about husbands and wives, and he talks about all of these different kind of groups about persevering. But right before that, he reminds them of something, um, just like he does in, in, in God does in Malachi. And he says uh, in First Peter two nine, he says he just said that some people, because of Jesus, they either see him as a precious stone or they see him as a rock of offense. And he says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." And you know, the idea is that whenever we start thinking, you know, either whether it's through trials, because through trials we struggle, and sometimes through trials we do things where, uh, you, know, you know, we see other people not going through those trials, and so we feel like maybe we should do things or act a certain way, and, you know, we, we compromise our lives. He just says, I just want you to remember, no matter what you're going through, your name's written in a book of, of remembrance, and as Peter says, like, you're chosen. Right? This is like the pep talk you know, from the coach. Right? The coach doesn't say, you know, right before the big football game, you know, you might, you know, we might have a perfect, perfect season so far, but you're a bunch of losers, right? You know, you're, you're worthless, and I really don't think you can do this. And, you know, if you did, that would be pretty deflating, right? And uh, so when you go into the big game, you know, you probably won't do your best. And so Peter just says, listen, like, I just want you to know that every day is a big game. Right? Every day is a struggle, and some struggles are bigger than others. And right before he starts giving that advice on what to do, he just says, listen, you know, you are all these things. You know, you're not just like some guy who's being neglected or, you know, oppressed or whatever, but you're, you're, you're a chosen nation. You are a holy, a royal priesthood, right? A royal, I mean, like, you're, you're part of God's kingdom. And so, and the priests were kind of like the big leaders, you know, in that day. You, you know, you're holy, you're God's possession. So just again, reminding them of these things. And so, because, because what's the best thing when we're starting to feel down on ourselves or questioning? Like, go to God's Word and, and see what He says. And remind ourselves that no matter what, no matter if we lose everything in this life, right, we still have our salvation. And that's really, a, you know, if you, if, you, if you went into every day with that mindset, I mean, really, it's like everything would be, seem insignificant. Right? I didn't get the promotion. So what? I got salvation, right? You know, I lost my, you know, I'm diagnosed with some, some illness or whatever, you know what? So what? I mean, I've got my salvation. So, but we don't think like that. We're, we're in the day to day, and just like you guys said, we, we, our vision gets clouded. So here in Malachi, we see that. Um, 
And he starts talking about this separation, right? He says, uh, back in Malachi, he says, Then once more you shall see the distinction, right? There's going to be a day when, you know, I make up my treasured possession, when I have them secure, and you'll see who, who is spared and who is not. And you see, he says, you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And it's an idea of a separation. Like, someday it will be clear. Right now, it may not be clear. Right now, you couldn't, like, line ten people up from, you know, you know down your street and be like, you're a follower of Jesus, you're not, you're not. You know, in this case, it's not like, you know, culture, they probably could have done that a little bit better. You're a Jew, you're not a Jew. Um, but, are you truly one of God's remnant? Or are you, are you, uh, you're a Jew, which means you've been promised these things, but you're not following you know, you are not one of God's elect. And so he says there will be a separation and it will be crystal clear. And um, even though you think they've gotten away with murder, there's going to be a time where they will either be safe in mine or they won't. Because the other thing too is like sometimes we think things about people's lives and they really aren't true. Uh, my wife was saying that she, you know, she ran into someone the other day and was just talking about them, and they're just having problems at home. And she's like, oh, you know, from what you post on Facebook, it seems like everything's great. And she's just like, well, what am I supposed to post? You know, am I supposed to? I mean, that, but that's like the reality, right? I mean, we don't, but we sometimes we have to like remind ourselves of that. That you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't ever post the things that I don't really post much anyway. But um, I don't really post things like having a bad day, you know. <laughs> Being like just hanging out in my sweatpants today, and you know, like one of those one of those days, like <laughs> this was the worst meal I've ever eaten. You know, enjoy. It. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but like we, all, it's just a reflection, and it, it's just it seems to be getting harder. You know, um, Satan is using so many tools to kind of like again cloud and, and blur those lines um, of what is uh, you know what is proper and right. But he said there will be a time where those distinctions will be made. All right. And so, uh, the next verses are, we're going to see that he exalts the faithful and he lowers the wicked. So verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1 in Malachi says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Uh, there is a reality that he, he just make, wants to make crystal clear that, that in that day of judgment, those who have lived their lives continually rejecting God will actually be utterly like wiped out. And so that's just a reminder, again, as like we envy the arrogant, that one, we should be compassionate towards the arrogant. And that's the, that ends up being the harder thing for us to do. I mean, it's one thing to be like, well, I shouldn't be like those people because in the day they will be judged. But it's even more to say, like, I want to be like them, but I should also, like, you know, reach out to them, which is so hard to do, right? It's easier just to be like, well, you know, they're sinners, and, you know, they're living their wicked lifestyle, you know, and so God wants me to continue persevering. That's why, I like, that, the early, like, kind of that monastery movement in the first several centuries, you know, after the church, like kind of took took hold because it was like it's easier just to separate ourselves from everyone else because you know <laughs> we don't have to like be enticed by them or tempted by them. Uh, but the problem is is that we may not be enticed or tempted by them, 
but we can't even reach out to them. And it seems like even a hard place because we want to be like them in some senses or like we have those like fleshly desires for the things that they have, but the thing that they don't have, they don't want. And so God is like giving us this task though to take that to them. And so um, we just have to be faithful that the Lord will work in their heart and give us opportunity. But he says, listen, the reason is because in that day of judgment, those that are separated, they will be stubble. And he says that, that there's no root, there's no branch, and the idea is that it's total, utter devastation. It's not like they're going to be like, I'm going to take all their money away and they're going to have to start over. It's like, no, it's, it's done. And so it's, it's like kind of a harsh reality. And there's plenty of times that he, in, um, that, uh, um, in Scripture, that this day of the Lord is described. I'll just read a few of those, um, uh, what that looks like. And so there's a similar theme. Because for, for his elect, the day of the Lord will be, you know, a blessing. But for those who, who aren't his elect, it's a day of judgment. And that's how it's often spoken of. Now, listen, there's a reality. If you don't, you know, if you don't follow me, like, this is the end result. Like, I'm hoping you turn in this life, but if you don't, this is what will happen. He says, Isaiah 13, 6, he says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty it will come. And 13.9 of Isaiah says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. And Jeremiah 46.10, it says, the day, That day is the day of the Lord uh, God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood, for the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Ezekiel 33, for the day of the Lord is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Amos 5.18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. In Joel 2.31, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And there's times that are talked about in the New Testament, meaning this day of the Lord is still yet future, because every time in the New Testament, it's not the day of the Lord when Jesus came or was crucified, but there is a coming day of the Lord to be talked about. And he's like, this is the reality is, is that this day of the Lord will consume them. And so that's not, the, you know, you, so, so don't even set your eyes on that type of living or that lifestyle. It may seem easy. It may seem, you know, uh, something that your flesh craves, but in the end, it, it's, it's utter ruin. It is vain, not serving God. And so, continuing verse 2, he says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And so there's this contrast that it says, like, you know, the son of righteousness with its wings of healing, that you'll be like a calf who, like, when the, you know, the doors open. I always think of, like, you know, uh, like bull riding, you know. They open and they're, like, jumping. That might be to throw somebody off. I don't know what they're thinking. But anyway, but the idea that they're jumping, like, it's like, you know, I'm free, I'm released, you know. And that's, that's the idea that, that um, and there'll be a time of healing. And so for those, for you who follow me and who fear me, there will be a time that will be tremendous joy. And whatever you've experienced, there'll be tremendous healing, and you'll be taken care of. But, and the reality is, he says, you know, your, your, 
you will tread down the wicked because he's using that language that they will be burnt down. I mean, there'll be ash. And so when you walk, there will be no more and you will actually be walking on their ashes. Um, that, that, again, reminder that they are no more um, at this time, this day of the Lord. So it's just, again, a vivid remember, reminder of like the consequences of our actions. And then he finishes it up with the entrance of Elijah. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers and their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So again, it says, Remember my statutes. Like, remember everything I said? You know, at Horeb was Mount Sinai. Um, the first time we see Mount Horeb was they were outside and God says, strike the rock and water will come out. And so it's kind of this picture that I will provide for your needs. But also that's when the law was given. And so this is, again, for the Jews, a reminder to follow the Mosaic law. And at Mount Sinai, and at, um, in beginning of Deuteronomy, he re- Moses recounts the law to them so they will know when they go into the promised land what they are to do. And he says, remember these things. Continue to do them. I'm not done doing these things. But he then he, he kind of gives this like foreshadow. And this is the last book of the New Testament that was written. He says, behold, I'll send you Elijah. What was, what was the thing about Elijah? One of the unique things about Elijah? I guess there's a lot of unique things. But what's like one of those trivia facts that Elijah is one of two people who what? Taken up, right? And so, um, and so he, you know, he's kind of always spoken of. He's one of those prophets that went against uh, some of the, the wicked kings, specifically Ahab. Um, but Elijah was taken up into the Lord, and he says, "I will send you Elijah before the great, awesome, great and awesome day of the Lord comes." So I'm going to send you somebody who's going to come before that time, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, have that time where like. Instead of going your own way, I'm going to bring you back together. Otherwise, I will strike you down. And so, um, you know, this verse, Jesus picks it up later and says that Elijah had come. So, is it the actual prophet Elijah? You know, some debate whether that is, but in the New Testament we see, you know, Jesus making a couple references to the fact that who came in the spirit of Elijah? We'll say uh, John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist came to turn the hearts of the people as a forerunner um, for Jesus. And so when Jesus came, you know, kind of said, like, this is the beginning of the day of the Lord, but I will, um, but the destruction is on pause for now. Um, and so, so how do we kind of take all of these things? Um, all of these things that, that we said is that, you know, uh, you know, some may doubt God's goodness. Some may be doubting, you know, God's provision. Whatever experiencing, you know, in our lives. But we see that God doesn't want us to stay there. At least in our thinking, right? It doesn't mean that you know everyone's going to live a, a financially rich life, you know. But we can live a a a rich spiritual life um, because He gives us that reminder that in the end there will be a judgment, and if you are His. There is this treasure that's stored up for you. Your name is in his book. You won't, you won't fall on that day. You may have plenty of struggles in the meantime, but there will be a time that you will be exalted 
but also the other contrast and reminder that those who don't will be cast down. And so he's not, again, just left us there. He says, I'll send Elijah. I'll send people. If you even look in the book of Revelation, there will be time where two prophets will be sent before another time of judgment. He's, you know, Peter calls us a, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, right? We're still here because God has sent us to speak words of truth to others. And so we can remind ourselves that God isn't just a God who like makes commands and says, like, either deal with it or you're done. But continually reminds us, you know, and, and calls us to uh, come back to Him, whether the first time for salvation or come back to Him um, if we've strayed. And so, uh, so that kind of ends out Malachi. And the next book you see is Matthew. And an angel comes and says, you know, that there will be a son born to you, Elizabeth, who will come as Elijah comes. So it's kind of interesting that you, you see that. Um, and that, that next book is kind of the birth of John the Baptist and then Jesus. So, all right, let's pray and then uh, we'll go, uh, we'll clean up chairs.